We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad. On the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're re-watching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of Schizoid on October 10th, 1980. It was written and directed by David Paulson and released by Canon Releasing Corp. This is our second Golan Globus produced title after Happy Hooker Goes Hollywood. Earlier announced titles for this film included Molded by Murder and Murder by Mail. I don't think Molded by Murder makes sense at all. I don't yeah. know. Like, how are we spelling molded? M-O-U-L-D-E-D. <laughs> and, and It literally is spelled M-O-U-L-D-E-D. I don't get it. And Murder by Mail also... I mean, there's like, mail involved in the story, I but no one's Dear getting... Dear Julie. Yeah, or that's Scared a to name. Death. <laughs> which is oh. what the person keeps signing all the letters, which yeah. is what I thought it would it would be an alternate title, but that wasn't on the list anywhere. Or Skizzers. I would have called it Skizzers over Schizoid. <laughs> Scissoring Ladies. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good name for it. Director David Paulson was told by Golan Globus that he had a month to write a screenplay that would cost less than a million dollars and could star Klaus Kinski, who they had on contract. Production began at the end of that month. Wow. We open on the side of a home as lights come on in an upstairs window. We hear a typewriter inside. Julie is typing in her living room with her typewriter propped up on a big cardboard box. She tears a sheet out of the typewriter to wrinkle it up and start over. She moves to the kitchen and opens the fridge when an egg falls out and explodes on the floor. And she half-acidly cleans it up. <laughs> yeah. And I, then, was, I was really upset with how she was cleaning that egg up. I was like, what are you doing? She's like, I, the only part you have to pick up is the shell, right? The rest of it's fine to just, just live just on your kitchen floor. Just buff it into the floor. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that uh, egg whites. It's good for your hair. It's good for your tiles. You know. Yeah. yeah but, but then she slams the door again. It's like, well, that's why the first egg fell out. Because you slammed the door so yeah, hard. Why that aren't they in a carton? What <laughs> Did you just buy loose eggs somewhere? Yeah, the, the, it's, a, it's one of those refrigerators that has like little egg cups in the oh, door. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, but you should have like a railing exactly. for safe egg or, or, storage. Or like the little <laughs> lid for like the butter yeah. compartment. Yeah. But that's not here. And she's slamming it all willy-nilly. And she eats her raw carrot. That You were upset that it was like a half-eaten carrot that was in the refrigerator? Yeah, well, first of all, why is there just a loose carrot and you're going to eat it? I don't know. It, it had a bite taken out of it already and it wasn't like peeled Everything about this is terrible. Fridge. Well, and, and my first impression of this woman is that she is a failure of a writer. Yeah, because she's writing on top of a cardboard box and eating a raw carrot alone yeah. at home at night. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the only reason she's eating a carrot is because now she can't eat the raw egg. Well, maybe... <laughs> <laughs> Which was her first plan. I mean, maybe this is to establish that she really probably shouldn't be giving other people advice in this yeah. column. <laughs> I think that there's other indications that she shouldn't be doing that also. In POV, we move around the corner of a home in the suburbs to spy on a group of five women skinny dipping in a hot tub. Julie is among them. We actually see the hand of the person in POV pulling a branch out of his way. And then when we switch to the opposite angle, you could basically make out the whole person before <laughs> they cut to the conversation happening in the hot tub. They are wishing a girl luck after leaving their therapy group. She's moving away and, uh, and she's already had her last group session with them. As each of the women takes their turn in the conversation, we get a quick freeze frame as though the person watching this is taking photographs of everyone. Though, for, for what reason? Because it never comes into play. Yeah, we never see these photographs if they were taken, and he'd have to be running full speed in a circle around the hot tub mm -hmm. to get a picture of everyone's <laughs> face from the angles we're seeing them at. It's not a lot of foliage to cover him <laughs> yeah. around the hot tub either. We cover a lot of exposition here. Julie writes an advice column, and she is reluctantly divorcing her husband or has already done so. I'm never clear. I guess that even... By the end of the film, that no paperwork has been yeah. filled out. She, They're on the cusp of divorce. Yeah, she calls. She she'll go back and forth between calling her her ex and her husband. Yes, mm -hmm. it's weird because they ask if her divorce came true, and she nods solemnly, but then she tells them that she is not happy about getting divorced. Came true or came through? She, I think the girl says came true, like it was a wish come true. Oh. 
But maybe she does say come through and I just missed it, or maybe it's just a, an accent situation. What about your divorce? Did it come true? But uh, she proceeds to talk about what a creep her husband or ex was, and that he's always bothering her, and if he doesn't stop that she'll have to quit her job because they work for the same newspaper. Though, I'm not clear what he does there. He hangs wallpaper. <laughs> but she seemed very surprised to hear that he would be doing that there. His family's in wallpaper. Yeah. Does that mean that he wallpapered them up into a building? They're literally in wallpaper. Um, she's a reporter, and she's going to quit because her husband is working part-time this week doing wallpaper at the newspaper. No, I think I think you're right that he works at the newspaper doing something. He just happens to be wallpapering yeah, and on we, the side. <laughs> and we never see what he's supposed to be doing there. Yes. They all shit-talk her ex for a while, and then they ride bikes home. In POV, we watch them bicycle by from inside of a car, and then the car follows one of them, this girl in, like, a yellow rain slicker. The person driving the car pulls on black leather gloves and follows this one woman through a gate and out onto a private road where she finally notices the car and starts riding faster. She panics, but the car taps her bike a few times before she falls off of it and rolls out into the grass. She runs to a nearby abandoned house to hide, but the killer grabs some shiny scissors out of his glove compartment before following her in. She runs into an enormous elk skull on a string <laughs> and screams before the killer's arm comes crashing through a window to grab her. She keeps running away and hides in a separate garage, but the killer follows her in, closes it, and then stabs her repeatedly in the chest with the scissors. We cut from the garage to hands clipping words to make an anonymous threatening letter. I usually call this like a ransom letter mm -hmm. yeah. because typically that's what you do this for, but this is just a threat letter. The word we see being cut out here is murder. Oh, it must be a lot of murders in the newspaper. Well, <laughs> if you read the whole rectangle of paper this person is cutting it out of, it reads, missing word, missing word, the mask, all they wanted was fun, what they got was terror, mayhem, murder, which is a tagline for the 1979 film Killer Behind the Mask, a.k.a. Savage Weekend, directed by David Paulson, the director of this film. Oh. So she's literally cutting the word murder out of a poster for his previous film. Murder, with an exclamation mark, is glued onto a page, and we cut to Julie arriving at work and being handed a stack of letters. In the stack, she finds the murder note in magazine words font, but for some reason... The author took out the murder we saw and glued in a substitute murder in the final draft. <laughs> <laughs> the editing must be a lot harder when you use glue yeah. and scissors. <laughs> this is where we Cut reveal paste that... is a little different. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is where we reveal that despite working for a newspaper, Julie is in fact illiterate. The letter she's holding reads, Murder. I think about it more and more. The rejection is getting so hard to take. Nobody cares about me. I feel so ugly my head is breaking. Maybe you'll understand. The bullets in the chamber. The guns ready blow. Not the guns ready to blow. The guns ready blow. I don't want murders, but I have to make them hear me. Can you understand? Help me. I'm scared to death. But out loud, Julie guesses that it says, Murder. I think about it more and more. They talk forever about their stupid problems, and I'm the one who's miserable. I want to shoot them through the head, and I can do it. I've got his gun. You're one of them. I'm going to kill you, too. A coworker tells her that it's probably nothing, but she should run it by her ex for some reason. Well, I mean, story-wise, I think it makes sense that what she says it says... It, it make, make, makes more sense because well, it needs to be a threat against her because otherwise it's it, just it's a just person a complaining about their life yeah yeah it just it sounds like sound, it's not a threat at all exactly i mean they, they did say that they they had bullets in a chamber and yeah but that like sounds that. more suicidal than yes murderous. that's true um but they actually have like four or five letters in this movie and so we see the letter that that she was reading out loud later in the movie but the one she's holding in this shot is not the letter that she read well maybe they had intended for it to escalate more and they just kind of they're like nah let's just cut switch it chase. up or they just <laughs> use the wrong insert i don't know her ex looks at the letter but now it says what she read in the hall so they must have had a few letters made up and cut in the wrong insert before her ex doug tells her it's probably someone from her therapy group and that they'd still be together if it wasn't for them she tells doug hey there's other fish in the sea go away he asks her to choose between two awful wallpapers he plans to put up in his office here. 
We see Julie park her orange ragtop VW bug on a hillside, and we watch her get out from the POV of someone parked in the car in front of her. Just as she passes the driver's side door, it opens, and she crashes into Gilbert, another patient here to see Dr. Peter Fails. I'm assuming the doctor part because it isn't a part of his credit. Yeah. But I think he's Dr. <laughs> Fails. He tells her that by coincidence, he's going to be working on some boiler problems in her building tomorrow. And she says, tell me about it. I don't even have any hot water. It's the boiler. <laughs> Gilbert represents our first appearance in the 1980s of Christopher Lloyd, I think. Right? We haven't had him yet. Oh, uh, we haven't had him, no. Correct. Dr. Fails watches them approach from his window. He gets a page from his secretary that the group is arriving, but he's locked in a staring contest with his daughter as she strips for a shower. He asks if she's okay and warns her against staying out so late. No, I'm not okay, Dad. You're watching me undress. She left the door open for him to see everything. I feel like both parties are at fault for what is happening in this scene. Yeah, This this is consensual. It's between adults. Let's just stay out of it. No, no, no. <laughs> oh, wait, no. One's a child. But yes, one is a child, but the child is intentionally doing this. Yes, She for is sure. intentionally stripping in front of her father and trying to get his attention. In the and, same way and, that the prostitute in, in God We Trust just left the door open and was completely naked, like directly eye shot from where she told him to lay down on the couch. But also he is not like, he's not not looking. He yeah, is looking. That's yeah. true. He is watching intently. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm... I'm saying they they both have they they both are at fault in this in this scenario. We cut to his group in session and he smokes while Gilbert complains about his life. A member of the group tells him that he can consider them his family, but he points out that a family is available 24/7 to solve real problems, not just to listen to them for an hour a week. Another patient suggests that she can't understand Gilbert's situation because she's married, and then Rosemary starts crapping all over her marriage, saying she'd be better off without the guy. Julie is upset that the group keeps targeting everybody's spouses. Fail's daughter, Allison, now dressed, listens through a Charlie's Angels-style speaker box <laughs> yeah. while she paints her nails in another room of the house. We tore them apart last week. Well, yeah, that's exactly it. That is exactly... We tore her husband apart last week. That's right. And the poor man wasn't even here to defend himself. You know, I think we should really be a little more careful with other people's marriages. Oh, please. What mass of marital experience do you speak from, Rosemary? None, love. I've been remarkably successful at avoiding it. Maybe there's a reason for that, sweetheart. Fails excuses them for the day. Julie stays behind to share the threatening letter she got with Fails. She tells him it's the second one she's gotten in two weeks, but I guess she got another one more than two weeks ago. Because in the insert earlier, this note is literally labeled letter number three at the top. Fails says the letters indicate that this person is not serious about killing. He asks about her ex, and she says, Doug is wallpapering his office, and then needlessly elaborates, Doug is um, wallpapering his office. Is he? Yes, he's... His family is in the wallpaper business, and uh, his uncle, that is, and... um, you know, uh, his parents died and he was an infant, but you know that. Fails, bored, starts making out with her to <laughs> shut her up. <laughs> Pat hitches a ride with Julie outside. She hops in the bug and sits on some food, apparently, before tossing it into the back seat and then licking it off her fingers. Yeah, I wasn't clear on what this was. Like, she sat down and, like, jumped up because she sat on something and yeah. then licked her hands. And I'm like, I guess she sat on food. That's real gross. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and also, like, don't wouldn't... Don't you people check the seat when you're going to invite somebody in your car, especially the passenger seat. All you have to do is look over yeah. and see if there is anything yeah, there. I don't care if you did actually sit on somebody's food. I would not lick somebody else's car seat food off of my hands. Because God knows how long it's been there. <laughs> when did you order this Nachos Bel Grande? <laughs> oh, that was for Christmas. I get one every Christmas. <laughs> Pat, another girl from the group, mentions offhand here that she is a topless dancer with a master's from Wellesley, all of which will come into play. No, just the topless (laughs) dancer part. We see vampire fingers drumming on a gear shift before the car moves out to follow Julie and Pat. It's like these weird curly fingers with these super long fingernails, and it just looks like Nosferatu drumming on a gear shift. And I don't 
knowing the end of the movie, I don't know whose hand this is. I don't either, because I, I Googled all the other characters to see what their hands look like generally, and none of them are this person. <laughs> Julie drops Pat off at the strip club where she works. Back in her building, Julie reads her death threat again, but this time it is neither of the finished letters we've seen so far and has the original murder clipping again. Julie gets in her building's elevator, but just as the door is closing, it's caught by a black guy in sunglasses with a toothpick in his mouth and a jacket over his shoulder who steps inside with her. Julie is noticeably racist about it. She's leaning in the corner of the elevator, literally convulsing with fear. Now she's holding the letter that she showed her ex in the office. It reminded me of the very beginning of Gloria when Julie Carmen is getting home from shopping and her whole building is just full of people scaring the shit out of her for no reason. <laughs> The man exits the elevator with her and follows her down the hall. She scrambles to get her keys into her door and drops them, but the man bends over to collect them and hands them to her when the door across from hers opens, and a man is excited to see that his boyfriend is home, and he loves his new haircut, which is cut all the hair off. This guy was acting kind of creepy. Like when he picked up her keys and kind of just silently stood there with them dangling from his finger. Like, yeah, that's, I not, think, that's not neighborly. No, I think that was like, this is what you get for cowering and fear in an elevator next yeah, to me. Yeah, I guess. Julie gets into her apartment and breathes a sigh of relief. She washes her face and looks at the letter again when the phone rings. Nobody speaks on the other end of the line, but we see Fails just listening for a while before she hangs up. A couple on a motorcycle pull up to the abandoned house from earlier. They start having sex in the garage when the girl complains it's cold, so the guy shoves the garage door shut, and a corpse swings down from above them. This was the girl in the yellow rain slicker that got murdered here in this garage. The cops I, I get just, a, just sorry. pause for a moment and think about the fact that they were going to have sex in an abandoned garage with the garage door open. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that sounds right. Okay. Yeah. Well, th- this house is pretty far off the road. Uh, I don't think anyone's going to see him. I also wouldn't do it in an occupied garage with the <laughs> garage door open. Okay. That's real weird. The cops get up to the house and are pretty disgusted by what they find. Keep wondering how many of these things i got to see before it stops turning my stomach. We cut back to Pat on stage doing a very spastic improvised strip dance and then ducking behind the curtain to applause. I think they're just like, yay, she's done. <laughs> in POV, someone watches her through the curtains and we see her counting out her tips for the night when suddenly Fails is in her dressing room and they consensually fuck against a water heater. I don't know if she's moaning in pleasure here or because of the second degree burns from being <laughs> smashed against the water heater. The cops return to their station just before Julie pulls up. She presents them with a new letter that we haven't seen, which reads, Dear Julie, maybe you don't believe I'm serious. I think about the murders day and night, walking the streets, driving the streets, murdering them killing myself help me please help me you'd better help me i'm scared to death and this is where i decided that it's weird that scared to death was not one of the alternate titles for the movie the cops tell her it's nothing to worry about she tells them about her plan to write a column in response to these letters and the cops say i hope you enjoy getting a shit ton more letters because that's what's going to happen and she says that's what my therapist said and then one of the cops says what's a pretty girl like you going to a therapist for Is there a stereotype? I don't know that only ugly people go to therapy. (laughs) First of all. Second of all, he should have said, what's a radiotherapist like you going to therapy for? Yeah, I mean, I think that the the stereotype is that beautiful people don't have problems. Right. I guess not radiotherapist. Newspaper advice columnist. What's a newspaper advice columnist doing in therapy? In POV, we watch Pat come out of her strip club. After her shift, she starts doing weird yoga moves on the sidewalk while she waits for the bus. She hops on the bus and the car follows it. She sneakily sticks some gum on the back of the seat before she gets off the bus. She immediately gets off the bus. Why don't you throw it on the on the ground? Like, that's so gross. Because don't put it on the bus. I don't want that in my city. I want that on my bus. <laughs> the car follows her through some back alleys, and she tries to hide from it. She runs for a while down the middle of the street directly in front of the car until we see the killer take scissors out of the glove compartment again. She crawls behind some boxes at the bottom of the stairwell in a very decent hiding spot, I thought, but then just as the killer starts coming down the stairs, she just leaps out and starts up the stairs toward him and then just screams. She turns again to run away and tries to jump over a fence at the end of an alley, but she can't make it over and she's stabbed repeatedly with the scissors. We see Julie approach her building while someone in all black follows her. 
a car skids into a driveway, and we see Fails enter his bathroom to wash his hands in a gold sink. Mm-hmm. He adjusts the time on a clock and heads up to his daughter's room. On her desk, he finds a bunch of clipped-up magazine pages, individual words, but none of this triggers anything in his brain. Yeah, I was like, okay, well, immediately I would be thinking she's sending the letters. Yeah. Do we know that he's not thinking that? Well, well he seems shocked later when he finds more words in his own office. Uh, I think he put two and two together already, but... Yeah. The next day, Julie reads a fourth letter to her co-workers. Dear Julie, maybe you don't believe I'm serious... Your time is growing short. Bullets in the chamber. Guns ready to blow. I'm aiming at you. Signed, scared to death. A coworker calls the author a total schizo. Total schizo. Which is as close as we'll hear to the title in this film. Julie thinks she ought to do something about it, but Doug is furious even at the suggestion. Yeah. He, Julie, don't get involved. Don't get involved. It's like she's already involved. Yeah. Right. Like she's being targeted by this right. letter. But then he's like, let me see that letter. No, no, no. It's probably a a hoax. But but also, like, don't get involved. But the cops aren't going to do anything to help her. So if she really thinks she's in danger, I feel like she should do something. Yeah. But I like it because the the full line is, Julie, don't get involved. This person is appealing. So what? He's obviously insane. I like to think that the reason that he's especially mad is because he just misunderstood what she said. When she said, this person's appealing to me, and he thinks that he's about to be replaced <laughs> with the mysterious <laughs> letter writer. <laughs> like, I really like this writing style. But but he, but again, like he's like, no, this is probably a yeah. hoax. And when she says more, then he goes, this person is capable of murder. It's yeah. like, you just said it was a hoax. Yeah. <laughs> and then she says, I think I'm going to have to do something myself, maybe in the column. And he says, no! <laughs> what? Julie's back at the police station, and they're even more annoyed by her this time. They get 40 homicides a week in Los Angeles, and they don't have time to prevent them because they're too busy trying to solve the ones that already happened. Is that the actual murder rate from 1980? Because that's outrageous. That's crazy That's like 10 times higher than the murder rate now. Yeah. It's pretty bad. (laughs) I liked what the other copier said, though. He's like, Yeah, we had 32 three weeks ago. We thought the world turned good. (laughs) (laughs) And I like that they just go, we're just going to really hammer this home and just show you pictures yeah. of dead bodies yeah. now. Yeah, to get her to leave the office, it, it, to just start frisbeeing Polaroids. Yeah, it's just like, <laughs> it's like you're trying to scare them straight. Like, it's like here, here are pictures of DUI deaths. It's like, not these are just murder victims. Yeah. You're not it's not trying... like she's murdering people and you're yeah, trying to ex- deter yeah. her from murdering. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, hey, you want us to investigate your stalker? Look at all these corpses. And they're just frisbeeing Polaroids at her. And she's just like, why, why are you doing, ugh, God, gross. But then the last Jane Doe that they hit her with is her friend Sally from group therapy. And they're like, oh, seriously? <laughs> we didn't identify that one yet. See, I, I feel like this whole situation was obviously forced in order to get this picture of Sally out in front of her. Yeah. yeah. How are we going to get her to see a picture of Sally? Well, they'll throw her all these murders. So look at all these murders. It's like they should have had like an unsolved murder board like in the coroner's office where it's just or you know here are some and just recent, gestured to what they're working yeah, like, on look at look at this look, look at, at our entire people, workforce and then, and then she would anybody. recognize because otherwise it just seems really weird for them to be saying look at all these look at all this paperwork I mean, that i have to just do just a file accidentally left open on the desk is a little less like yeah. obvious i would like it if they were in the morgue and literally just throwing fingers at her and ears and stuff <laughs> look at this do you know this <laughs> see how hard my job is this is the whole drawer. is a drawer full of fingers. Look at this. <laughs> oh, it's like our drawer full of teeth and death ship. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. Would you mind coming down to the morgue to make a positive ID? I have to call someone first. I wanted it to cut to her just on the phone saying, hi, do you deliver pizza to the morgue? <laughs> <laughs> but no, she's calling fails. And he joins her to identify Sally's remains. The cops assure her that the mad killer out murdering her friends is not the one writing her daily death threats. Also, I don't like the way that uh, uh, Richard Hurd's character is, like, holding her as he's walking her through the hallway. Like, he's, like, a close loved one. He's like, this yeah. is the detective who wouldn't give me the time of day last week. Yeah. And now he's, like, caressing you down the hallway, like, escorting you. <laughs> I was like, I don't like the way you're holding her. Julie has decided to announce a phone number for a hotline in her column for the killer to reach her through. Or at least whoever's writing these letters to reach her through. We see Julie writing her column at home, and the next morning she finds 
a clipping of her column header with a D written over the R in Dear Julie, so it reads, Dead Julie. Oh, the cops set up the hotline she asked for. We see quick inserts of a new letter being assembled, but it's actually just reusing shots of the first letter, including the famous murder. Uh, we see someone write Dear Julie on a typewriter. Don't know who. Well, also, I I don't like the way that she's assembling the letter because at first it shows her using like tweezers. Yeah. And I was like, okay, yeah. And that's then smart. pressing it down. But then, but then she's pressing it with her fingers. It's like, yeah, no, that, that's, that's the whole point yeah. of doing this is that you're not leaving fingerprints on everything, yep. especially glue, which is just going to perfectly adhere your fingerprint to the, yeah. to the document. Might as well sign it. <laughs> That'd be funny. Like someone does a whole message like that and then they sign the bottom. Like, God damn it. <laughs> to start over. We cut to Allison's room and she hears Julie arrive at her house. She's greeting her father downstairs and Julie asks if Allison knows that she'll be joining them for dinner. Julie tells Fails that she had a dream that he was writing the letters and that he killed someone who caught him doing it. We see Allison at her father's desk, pulling open a drawer and stealing the gun inside. Fails moves into the house to tell Allison about dinner and she hides in her own bathroom with the gun. The police find Pat's body in the alleyway. Nothing to identify her, probably a hooker. You think everyone's a hooker. <laughs> Fails sets up a dinner with Julie, and Allison comes down wearing one of her mother's dresses. They both react horrified, but who fucking cares? They're basically her dresses now anyway, and it's not like it was inappropriate for the dinner or anything. It was just a dress. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're obviously still grieving in some way, so... Right, but Julie doesn't know that, and she should have just said, oh, that's a beautiful dress, but instead she's like, uh, what's going on here, buddy? You gonna explain what your daughter's doing? Allison keeps trying to pour wine into the wine glass that her father put in front of her at the table, and he tells her, hey, that's illegal. There are laws against minors drinking. She asks if her dress is illegal, and her dad gets uncomfortable. <laughs> and, because no? <laughs> no, because I can't I believe I've yes, taught her so poorly. you naked in front of me yeah. again? <laughs> uh, they fight more until Allison is literally tearing off her mother's dress at the table. Oh, yeah, you will get naked yeah. for me again. Perfect. Allison, I'm an American. What's happened to you, Allison? You think it's so awful to wear mother's dress? Well, I won't wear it anymore. I won't wear that. Oh, Stop it! No! Fails doesn't want her to ruin the dress, and so Allison runs around the house for a while, just throwing random shit on the floor. We never really resolve this fight. It ba- the scene basically ends with him chasing her around the house, yeah, and grabbing her and picking her up and rocking around with her. But we cut straight to Doug wallpapering the hallway at work. And then going to take a nap in his office. Yeah. <laughs> Got one sheet up yeah. for a nap. <laughs> How long have you been here? He got one sheet up. He takes, a, opens up a candy bar, takes a bite, and then go grabs a beer and lays down in his room. Yeah. like, yeah, hard day's work, yeah. Doug. By the time I finish this hallway, I'll get that whole candy bar eaten. <laughs> one bite per nap. I guess Julie just left Fail's place because she's getting into the building to pick something up off of her desk. And Doug creepily watches from down the hall. Julie squats down to lock an office door, but she's nudged in the butt by Gilbert while Doug continues watching the two of them. Julie runs back into the elevator and Gilbert joins her, and Doug again just watches the door close with these two in it. Julie thinks the elevator is broken and Gilbert offers to fix it in a very threatening voice. He pulls out a screwdriver and then he pushes a button with it because the elevator wasn't moving because nobody had picked a floor. Maybe Julie's just terrified of elevators. Yeah, she's just technophobic. It reminded me of a time I was in an elevator with Don Cheadle, and he kept pressing the button of the floor we were on (laughs) so the elevator wouldn't move until I pointed it out. He was like, whoops. (laughs) Um, When she gets off the elevator, a maid gets on, and Gilbert, like, roughly shoves the maid's cart around, like, get this thing away from me. Doug heads into an office and calls Julie's house, to leave a message checking on her even though she just left the building so he knows he's going to be leaving a message she pulls up outside her home and fails is there leaning against a tree watching her and smoking a cigarette doug leaves the office and drives to julie's home where he finds her car he buzzes her room multiple times but we see her and fails having sex in the apartment so she's not answering the buzzer doug climbs the fire escape but a man from a lower floor catches him doing it and assumes he's a peeping Tom, and then chases him down to the street level with a baseball bat. I don't think it's totally unreasonable for him to do this. 
you know, thinking, okay, I called her and she didn't answer. I buzzed her and she didn't answer. I see her car here. I know she's had death threats. Like, She just got in the elevator with a creepy guy. (laughs) It seems like a reasonable thing to assume something might have happened to her in her apartment. But he should have just gotten into the elevator with her. Like, he didn't need to hide from her that he was in there because he was supposed to be there working on the But that's at their office building. This is at her house. Right. He could have gone with her the whole way is what I'm saying if he was worried about her. He was just watching her and a creepy guy interact. And then he's like, I wonder if that guy killed her later. (laughs) I guess I should go to her house and check on her. And it's like, you could have just been with her the whole time. She knows you really well. You could have escorted her home at night. Yeah. She's getting death threats on a regular basis. The man chases Doug down the street for a while until Doug finally loses him around a corner. We see Fails and Julie in bed and Fails suggests not mentioning the murder to the group. He also didn't take his watch off for sex. Which I think is weird. (laughs) It's probably very expensive. We cut to Allison pointing her father's gun at her own face, all decked out like a blue Carmen Sandiego. She points the gun at her reflection when her father suddenly enters, and he tells her that her mother dressed Allison like this when she was eight years old. So this must be another mom outfit, because it's not an eight-year-old's outfit, but Fails doesn't seem to care that she's wearing her mom's clothes this time, if that's the case. Allison starts crying and just throws her hat at him and runs away. She's also not wearing pants when she runs <laughs> yeah, away. Yeah, that's true. Which is great. I think maybe that's the, the eight-year-old part of it. Yeah. In POV, a car pulls up to Rosemary's house and collects scissors from the passenger seat this time, getting sloppier. Yeah. Uh, also, I forgot that other people exist in this movie because I don't care at this point. Yep. I, I, I was like, oh, are we still killing group members? Is this still happening? Because I don't care anymore. Why were we ever killing group members? I think the only reason we were getting that freeze frame is just so like, take some time to memorize this face because these characters all look so similar. Rosemary gets in her hot tub and the killer follows right behind her, stabbing her to death in the tub and then putting the top back on the tub, flipping off the bubble jets and just leaving her in there never to be found. I was going to say, don't we never find her by the end of the film? <laughs> no. She's never I mean, found. People report that she hasn't shown up to things, but we never discover this body. Yeah. I, I thought for sure he was going to like turn up the heat or something. Yeah, that's what I thought like, at first. When she flicks it on, I was like, oh, he's going to boil this woman alive or something. Yeah, but I guess it doesn't make sense for the scissors aspect of it. But and he, she's also not a frog, so she yeah. would notice it was getting uncomfortable. Um, but also, I think it's really like it's really unsafe the switch for the jets. Yeah, it's all this exposed wiring and a perfect box. to perfect to be flipping on and off with wet hands, <laughs> and fresh metal, out of a hot and metal tub. scissors. Yeah, <laughs> dripping wet. Yeah, Allison glues together a new letter. Dear Julie, I see now how little I mean to anybody. Even you haven't answered my letters, but I don't know how she was supposed to answer letters without a return address. The next, well, in the column. Right, but she's planning on doing that, but this person doesn't know that, and I don't know how often the column comes out, but it seems like she's getting these letters from her every day. So if it's been less than a week since her last column, like she couldn't possibly have responded. At the next group therapy session, there's only three people left, and Fails is like, where did everybody go? Uh, Fails calls Julie at the office to check on her, and she says, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot to tell you, I'm not going to be there today because uh, the column about all those letters is going out tonight, and also my hotline is going to go live. And he says, oh, your hotline, let me get that number. And she's like, you're going to have to buy on the paper. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to tell it to you for some reason. Uh, yeah, what was that motivation? I don't know. Well, how about just call me at this number because this is also a phone number at my office. Yeah. Yeah, and... It's not like he couldn't look that number up if right. he wanted to find it. Like like you said, he, he would buy the paper and he would get it. So why not just give it to him? Yeah. Because she's counting on the circulation. She needs she needs those papers to sell. <laughs> she needs to buy another carrot desperately. <laughs> she's down to her last <laughs> nub. <laughs> Fails his secretary, buzzes into the office to announce that Rosemary isn't answering her phone and that Pat's boss at the dance club says she hasn't been in in two nights. Fails is generally annoyed by the likely murder of his other patients and suggests that his secretary take a vacation because all of his clientele are dying and soon he won't be able to afford to pay her. He says, why don't you go home, Clara? And she says, well, I, I wouldn't mind because my sister's in the hospital. And he just hangs up. Yeah. <laughs> it's like getting Mid-sentence. too getting too personal. I have to have boundaries with, my, yeah. with the help. <laughs> Uh, He notices a clipping 
from a letter on the floor, the word around, and here it seems to occur to him for the first time that his daughter's been writing these letters. He hears her leaving, and he follows her. He tells her that the gun is also missing and has been for a few days and asks if she knows where it went. And she says, What do you need it for? (laughs) (laughs) So you know where it is then. (laughs) He tells her about the death of his patient and follows her around the yard for a moment. And to barricade him from her, she closes a two-foot-high gate in front of him (laughs) that he could very easily step over. She is livid to learn that he suspects her of murdering a patient and gets into a car in the garage, locking the door behind her, and then she starts running the engine to commit suicide. I think that he phrased this whole conversation wrong. You wrote those letters. You should know the police are looking for the person who wrote those letters. Like, he, he never mentions... He just immediately says... They, there's the police are looking for you. Yeah, it's just like no, hold on, you're you're not explaining the consequences correctly to this person. Yeah. But uh, she hops in the car and gets it started, and it, the garage is just instantly full of smoke. This would take hours, but she's it's fully engulfed in smoke, and he's outside. He's like, no, you can't start the engine when the door's closed. It's no, a, you have to. It's also a, presumably a car bought in the seventies. Yeah. So probably maybe the exhaust is just yeah, really maybe. bad. But somehow he immediately has an axe and he's taking it to the garage door to get to her. But instead of just chopping the lock out so that he can open it, he's just going to cut a whole human-sized door in it. And (laughs) before she can submit to the carbon monoxide, she drives through the garage door and away from the house. It's also weird that there's no other door to the garage. There was one on the side, but he didn't go around. He could have gone around to it. The cops meet with Julie and Doug and show them how the phone line works. She intends to spend the night here in the office with her ex while he wallpapers. Allison sits on a lifeguard tower on a dark beach with her dad's gun just firing it into the night sky. Allison buys a paper and calls the hotline, and we cut to the office where Julie and Doug are wallpapering the hall when the phone rings. But Jesse, you cut this. They like actually stop and turn and look at the phone ringing before the phone actually rings? Yeah, they look for like a full second. They're like, oh, what was that? And then the phone rings. Did you back it up and confirm that? I did, yeah. Okay, I was like, was I crazy? Yeah. (laughs) This first phone call isn't even Allison. It's just an angry reader. Never mind who it is. I read your column. Where the hell do you get off giving people advice? You think you're some kind of tin fucking god or something? You're not a psychiatrist. You probably need a psychiatrist yourself. Doug is listening in on another phone and is laughing especially hard at this part because she actually does need one and he hates the guy. The phone rings again and this time it is Allison. She wants to speak with Julie in person and asks to come by the office. Dr. Fails checks in at the police station to report more missing patients. They show him the body of Pat and he claims not to know her, which is dumb for a number of reasons. Chief among them that she is a patient of his, right? and there's a record of employees and witnesses. Yeah. Also, there's a very recent sperm sample inside of her. Ooh. Yeah. That was probably in there when she died, because she yeah. died like an hour later. Yeah, exactly. Ugh. Or maybe even a baby. <laughs> the baby looked at you? <laughs> <laughs> I think the point is supposed to be that he believes his daughter is the killer now, and he's just trying to buy her time. Um if he were the killer, though, there's no reason that he would come here to ID the body just to deny knowing her. It doesn't make sense as, yeah. as, a, as an it, action. E- even if his daughter ends up being the killer, this is a situation you cannot get out of. Yeah. Because you have just told them that you don't know this person. Allison buzzes into the office. Julie lets her in, and Allison apologizes for last night, sort of. She's just like, oh, I know last night was kind of weird. You probably think we're crazy now. Julie says that she told her father it was too early to meet like that. And then Allison pulls out a new threatening letter and essentially admits to writing them all. I don't know why you go to all the effort of making another letter to just hand it to her in person. Because it's not anonymous anymore. Doug is for some reason very impressed. Yeah. That's amazing. (laughs) Did did you do it? (laughs) Yeah. Maybe he's just struck by the unfolding coincidence. But Julie asks if this has all been a joke, and Doug is grinning madly, asking <laughs> if she actually killed anybody. Yeah, but did you do it? That's the question. Did you do it? <laughs> Allison whips out her gun and cocks it at Julie. The phone rings again, and it fails. I'm not sure why Allison is letting her answer it or speak, and I thought she was going to try and be real discreet with her words and not give anything away, mm-hmm. but she picks up the phone and she goes, Yes. 
Allison. <laughs> <laughs> At which point Allison should know people are incoming and kill both of these these two that she has at gunpoint. When Fails gets to the office building, there's a cardboard box propping it open and he moves inside. Gilbert follows right behind and collects the box because he was using it to keep the door open while he did some work here. Fails tries to buzz into the office, but nobody answers. Luckily, it's just unlocked now. He turns on the lights, but they're turned off again right behind him. Suddenly, someone's shooting at him, and he is pleading with his daughter to stop. He comes out of an office and sees someone crouched, crawling across the floor with a big rectangle of paper blocking them from view like they're Metal Gear Solid or something. (laughs) No reason to do this outside of the cinematic purpose of hiding the killer. Another shot is fired, and it looks like it hits him based on how quickly he reacts, but I don't think it does. No. I don't know if he gets shot at all in this scene, but there's two times where I was sure that he was shot. He uses an office phone to call every desk in the building, and a heavy breather picks up the phone. He tells Allison that Julie wasn't meant to replace her mother or herself, and please don't hurt Julie. Doug spits back, you make me sick. Now we see Julie and Allison with taped mouths tied back to back in a dark office. Back in the morgue, the cops learn that the scissors used to kill both women that they have found contain traces of wallpaper paste, and they realize Doug the heir to the wallpaper magnates is the killer and they race to the office where they left the killer alone with the woman he intends to kill. Julie and Allison find some scissors and start rubbing the ropes that they're bound with up and down the blade to cut themselves free. Fails collects a hammer from a desk in this office. I'm not sure why there would be a hammer there, but who knows? You know, wallpapering. (laughs) You hammer hammer out the wrinkles. There you go. Well, for that matter, I just want to point out here you also do not use scissors when wallpapering. You would want to cut that with like a straight edge and a knife. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I think here Doug successfully shoots Fails and he falls backward over a desk. Unless he was just so scared of the bullets that he fell over. Because we don't see blood spreading on him anywhere. No. But it definitely looks like he got hit. The police pull into the parking structure for the building. Doug chews out Fails for playing host to a bunch of women shit-talking their husbands and causing needless divorces. You don't know my face, do you? Your group didn't either. But you know everything else about me, don't you? Don't you? You dissected me like a worm, all of you. Every Tuesday and Thursday, right? Tuesdays and Thursdays, you sliced me up, you and your disgusting little group. The cops struggle to get into the building until they see Gilbert inside, and he lets them in. Doug puts the gun to Fail's head, You took my wife away from me! You made her think I was nothing! Doug pulls the trigger repeatedly, but the bullets are spent, and Fails spins around to smash him with the hammer, but misses, putting it through a wall. But then there's like just a freaking, just swinging that hammer left and right (laughs) at Doug. (laughs) The girls escape their bindings to find Fails chasing Doug through the hallway with a hammer. The two of them wrestle for a moment, until Allison gets the scissors and plunges them into Doug's back to save her father. For this whole fight, Julie is begging Allison not to stab Doug. Yeah. Until she already has, and then she just sits there and cries and, about and her dead husband. Would it, and would it have killed him? I don't know. Seemed I feel to like kill it everybody else in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, but everyone else got stabbed multiple times. He just got one in the spine. Yeah. I feel like it would have paralyzed him, maybe. But he just uh, like opens his mouth and sticks his tongue out as far as he can. But but then like Julie and Allison go to fails. It's like, okay, hold on a second. Yeah. You, he hugs both of them in the corner. Yeah, but also we've never we never resolved the fact that fails was having sex with at least one other patient, probably others, and yeah. maybe his daughter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's a lot of unresolved. I don't want Julie with fails. Yeah. No. No. Oh, I do. <laughs> I I wanted them to get married right there at the end. All three of them. Hmm. The cops come in seconds after the threat's been dispatched, and we freeze frame on them checking the body. I thought for sure they were going to see Allison with the scissors stabbing and just go, that's... Bing, bing, bing. Yeah, like I thought this is how this is going to end. Yeah. But if you stay through the credits, Doug's body disappears in a puff of smoke and a bat flies away. <laughs> no, true. that does not happen. Writer-director David Paulson wrote and directed and produced a bunch of Knott's Landing, Dallas, and Dynasty in addition to Savage Weekend, like I said before. Klaus Kinski played Peter Fails. Is that a, a joke on uh, on not being able to get it up? If your name is Peter Fails. Uh, 
Well, he didn't seem to have that problem. I, I, yeah, I was just going to say that. <laughs> well, maybe it's it's Peter Fails like boners, where all these people are dying like, whoops, they died after I had sex with them. For Werner Herzog, he played Count Dracula and Nosferatu the Vampire. He played Aguirre and Aguirre the Wrath of God and Fitzcarraldo and Fitzcarraldo, which is the one where we just watched that the clip of the fight that he had with the production manager on the set uh walter saxer that was funny where werner herzog is like narrating the fight like like it's a nature documentary <laughs> um i love him <laughs> he played Juan wild the hunchback in for a few dollars more and he's also the father of natasha kinski who we will see later this year as tess in roman polanski's tess Donna Wilkes was Allison Fails. She plays Angel in the first film of the Angel trilogy. She's also Jackie in Jaws 2 and Marion in Blood Song. Just an old-fashioned blood song. <laughs> we have song. to sing that every time <laughs> when we mention Blood Song. Uh, Marianna Hill played Julie. She was Callie Travers in High Plains Drifter. Uh, she was Deanna Corleone in Godfather Part 2. That's Fredo's wife. Uh, we'll see her next or probably just i will in a minisode for next year's blood beach i don't think uh, you guys were interested in that one craig wasson plays doug he was neil gordon in nightmare on elm street 3 he plays jake in body double and mickey and carney earlier this year richard hurd was donahue we just had him in our previous episode as general foley in private benjamin so we've gone over his credits fairly recently but i'm going to hit some different ones this time he was wilhelm on seinfeld that's costanza's boss He's also Admiral Noyce in Sequest 2032. Yeah. He's President Cleveland on Briscoe County Jr. And Dennis Sheridan on TJ Hooker. Joe Regalbudo played Jake. He was Marvin Baxter in Raw Deal and Frank Fontana on Murphy Brown, which is the thing I recognized him from. Christopher Lloyd was Gilbert. He's Dr. Emmett Brown. He's Uncle Fester. He's Professor Plum. He's Judge Doom. He played Tabor in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. That was his first film. He also appeared in Black Marble earlier this year, but we didn't cover that one yet. And he was Reverend Jim Ignatowski on Taxi. Flo Lawrence was Pat. She's credited here as Flo Garish. She must have been married since the film. We had her earlier this year as Dr. Lindsay Gale in Don't Answer the Phone, the completely terrible radio psychologist. And uh, Kiva Lawrence played Rosemary, the body that was never discovered in the hot tub. And we had her very early this year as Mrs. Jensen, half of the Killer Santa team from To All a Good Night. Uh, I wanted to bring up uh, the, once again, master of the blaster beam, uh, Craig Huxley. Oh, good. Uh, his, his, his blaster beam score for this movie, also very good. <laughs> we uh, saw him last in Alligator, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, or the, heard him last. I, I noticed it especially with... Um, I think it's Pat, the topless dancer's death. Yeah. When she's running and you just hear the, the, it's like, yes, there it is. <laughs> um, yeah, this movie, I don't, so the daughter is a really confusing character to me. Yeah, because I don't know if she's a straight up murderer psychopath or right. if she's just an angsty teen who's making a scene. But she also seems oddly into her father, but like, and not over her mother's death. Like, I'm really confused why she's writing letters about murdering other people to Julie. And and not just, I'm mad at you, Julie, specifically. I got the impression she was just trying to freak her out as much as possible. I guess. But it, I, I don't think it really becomes clear why she's doing this. Well, when I do it, no, I mean, I don't. <laughs> I, I think it's clear that she is looking for affection from her father and she's willing to get it even in even ways that is not appropriate yeah yeah uh, because otherwise he's just very clinical with her all the time yeah um and while why she targets julie in the group i don't know but it's clear that she listens to the group therapies all the time which i understand where she's at least getting the idea of uh listening to these you know people with their problems i can't stand these people um yeah. they get all this quality time with my dad and i don't he he listens to their problems and he won't listen to mine I, I, and this is just my own interpretation yeah I, I it's just like this movie i'm making this movie seem much larger than it is um because ultimately the, the, there's no real end game here because i don't think she would have killed anybody yeah i agree with that I think she just wanted her to be scared or to get her father's attention in some of the way. But the gun was loaded. 
Like she came there ready to kill her. I I don't know if she came there ready to kill, but she certainly wanted to threaten. Yeah, now maybe. Doug, on the other hand, I get I get his motivation. He blames these people in the group for, for tearing apart his marriage. Yeah, for ruining his marriage and accusing them of things, you know, behind his back in these group sessions. I think. But also, his parents died when he was a baby, so he has like lingering issues, probably. Is that is that that's a thing that happens when your parents die as a baby? You automatically kill people with scissors. Yeah, well, I, we don't say how it happened. Maybe they got stabbed to death with scissors outside a theater by a baby. <laughs> by a baby, what? Now, now, would you say Doug is the titular schizoid, and is he schizophrenic? No, we're not given any indication that he is. Yeah, I don't think he is. I don't think anybody in this is portrayed as schizophrenic. Actually, I, I agree. And that's why the that's title... why it's called Schizoid, Richard. Oh, the movie itself is schizophrenic. Richard would have preferred it molded by murder, <laughs> <laughs> or something, some kind of wallpaper pun. Yeah, <laughs> I like cut and paste though. Yeah, I don't understand this movie. I do like that it sets up basically four people for you to choose from, mm-hmm. and they all have equal likelihood of being the killer you know what would have been great is like the last kill not to kill the lady in the hot tub like that that was not satisfactory we don't find her we don't talk about it like Dude, it's does not he important. kill everyone in the group or no, just no two or three? gilbert would have been the best last kill yeah for because sure. i think that we would have established that it wasn't just random ladies getting killed how would you have had him killed Throw him the scissors, boiler. i guess what if he just <laughs> takes like a stray bullet during that last shootout. No, I, I want him to be the last intentional kill <laughs> okay. by Doug. That makes more because sense. Because I wanted it to be obvious. Like, there needed to be sort of a another clue, I think, before all of this unfolded that it wasn't potentially the daughter. You know, that, that it wasn't her maybe getting ladies that she was jealous of. Well, hold on. So there were five women in the in the group, right? And the, there's five women in the so hot tub. At there the was beginning. at least four. There's there's definitely five women okay. in the hot tub at the beginning. So Pat and Rosemary get killed, and the other girl that was leaving gets killed. Yeah. But Julie does not get killed, and there's one other survivor of the of the girls in the group. It just seems weird to leave anybody unkilled, anyone alive. It's very confusing because some of these kills occur. Well, a lot of these occur during the day. Yeah, and they keep bringing up is like his uh, Klaus Kinsey as fails keeps asking Allison where she goes at night. where she goes at night. <laughs> yeah, and and it, when you see her car, it's like, well, that's not the killer's car. Yeah, like if the if she had a similar model or make to the car, then yeah. it would be like, oh, hmm, that's a yeah. similar car. Uh, but it's not, and it's very clear that it's not her at that point. Well, yeah. and those fingernails we never establish who's got those long fingernails because i don't but it's think definitely it's not a woman <laughs> like for sure it's not a woman's hand and i thought it was just blatantly klaus kinski's hand because i was like that just looks like nosferatu fingers <laughs> but then i googled it and i was like that's not what his hands look like in this movie or in anything else yeah i don't know yeah um it's a weird one but again i did appreciate that they set up pretty solid red herrings and that i would have bought it if they'd have gone a few different ways here mm-hmm. at the end and i actually did not expect doug to be the killer until it was 100 percent revealed yeah i thought they were narrowing in on christopher lloyd being the killer and just being in love with her and wanting to kill everyone else in the group so he could be with her because mm-hmm. he didn't stand anybody he couldn't stand anybody else um what do we think of just up or down on this one? Oh, it's a down it was I don't know. I I couldn't get into it. It was not real that really interesting to me. All the kills are the same. Yeah. When you make a slasher movie, you got to mix it up. Every kill has to be different. They have to be different in entertaining ways. And everything here was scissors to the face or scissors to the chest. Just the location being different isn't enough. Yeah. 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 If, if you're going to stab them in the water, stab them in the garage, or yeah. stab them on a fence... Then it needs to be more interesting. Yeah. yeah. And all the victims were interchangeable, including yeah. Julie. Mm-hmm. And they just left the bodies. Like, they're, every, every one of these kills, they had an opportunity to move the body and hide it. Yeah. They, uh, But 
nothing happens with that. All the bodies are all just left around. Um, although their IDs were removed, um, uh, at least as far as Pat's concerned. Oh, and and the girl in the garage, because yeah. no one knew who they were. Yeah. Uh, and so it's it's strange that they went through these this effort to hide their identity, the person's identity, but didn't go through just the trouble of like, why don't I just hide the whole goddamn body, and then no one will know. What is the reasoning to have him say, no, I don't recognize this body in the morgue? There's no reason. Well, as you as you said, it might be to th- that he thinks he's protected his daughter. Mm. But, yeah. but it's it's going to come out really soon that yeah. this is a patient of yours, so it would be weird of you to say not that you don't recognize her. And, yeah. and as I said before, recently having had sex with this man uh, really puts you in the killer corner. Yeah, yeah that's true. That's going to be bad. Um, I also say down on this one because it's not super inventive with the kills. Though the dialogue wasn't horrifically bad, and for something that came together in a month, I'd say it's better than phobia. <laughs> you yes, know, I have it above phobia. Actually, yeah. I have it ways above phobia. Um, but yeah, uh, we were so we're all down on this one. Uh, I am also down. Um, uh, and then, yeah. uh, what a, where are we going on Letterbox, Richard? Uh, I have it pretty low. I have it number ninety nine. Uh, which puts it below Cheech and Chong's next movie and above To All a Good Night. Okay. I have it at 103, which is below Melvin and Howard and above Happy Hooker Goes Hollywood. I have it now at 87, which is under In God We Trust and just above Just Tell Me What You Want. That's two below To All a Good Night. So the Kiva Lawrence movies are very close together. I think that's everything for this one. If you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd, where, as I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. Please consider rating us on iTunes to help people find the show. And if you take the time to leave us a review, we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode. If you're feeling especially generous, you can also support the show through Patreon.com slash VintageVideoPodcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing... Fade to Black, which IMDb describes like so. A shy, lonely film buff embarks on a killing spree against those who browbeat and betray him, all the while stalking his idol, a Marilyn Monroe lookalike. We leave you now with the trailer for Fade to Black. This is Eric. (laughs) Eric Benford. Double cross and squealers both here. I go to a lot of movies. It's my thing. <laughs> you know what I do to squeeze? <laughs> Why don't you live in the real world with the rest of us? If you're so smart, Stella, tell me what James Cagney's name was in White Heat. Benford is he's sick in the head. He's like retarded or something. Here's to us, top of the world. I'm a great admirer. I just wanted to meet you. I can't picture the creature who'd want to marry you. Tell me, who is this unlucky girl? Marilyn Monroe. Remember, you you picked me up hitchhiking. I I gave you the whole idea for my movie. I've never heard of you. Happy birthday. Huh? Cut it, dude. Dear Eric. What are you looking at, you creep? But you didn't know what Adolf Hitler's favorite movie was. Broadway Melody, I bet you didn't know that. But what about Cry of Battle and War as Hell? Where were they playing, huh? Eric Benford lives for the movies. Sometimes he kills for them, too. Dennis Christopher, star of Breaking Away, creates an unforgettable portrait of life on the edge of terror. (laughs) Fade to black. Introducing Eric Benford. Happy birthday, sucker. (laughs) Star of the Silver Screen. Master of Disguise. I think he's calling you out. 
Hopalong cast. They... Oh, look at this. Minister of Horror. Now in the ultimate performance of murder. Hollywood. You can't touch me. Not now. Fade to black. 